And of course, you know, the fear of a, of a robo planner that is, uh, uh, completely automated is that, you know, what if it becomes self-aware, you know, I could see a Terminator two judgment day <laughs> scenario where it buys you a lot of insurance and then it kills you and it names itself <laughs> as the names itself as the beneficiary. I mean, there's, there's a lot of scary aspects of this technology. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, especially if you have actual robots you know, uh, <laughs> managing your money, then uh, then it becomes really scary. Yeah, now I'm I'm developing secretly developing a plot for a movie based on uh, uh, robo robo planners that become self aware. It uh, should be a real um, uh, blockbuster. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's actually an awful idea. <laughs> Mostly Money, Mostly Canadian Podcast with your host, Freep Banerjee. Welcome back to Mostly Money, Mostly Canadian. I'm your host, Preet Banerjee. And on the show today, we'll be talking to Naveed Bustani, a co-founder and CEO of Modern Advisor, which is one of the new robo-advisor services available to Canadians. We'll talk through the nuts and bolts of their offering and also talk about their socially responsible investing options as they build themselves as the first Canadian robo-advisor startup to launch with SRI, or socially responsible investing. Although I should point out that they are not the only ones uh, that are offering it, but they are the first. Now, before I introduce Naveed, I want to give a shout out to a few listeners who were kind enough to leave reviews and comments on iTunes. Peter Methodist let me know that both he and his wife are listeners, so thank you very much for tuning in, guys. Bushman447 recently started listening to the podcast and wants to encourage me to keep publishing new episodes as he's almost all caught up after binging. And um, for the record, I am hoping to put out a new podcast once every two weeks, but um, certainly leaving comments and reviews helps keep me motivated. So thank you very much, Bushman. And finally, Encrypted C is happy that the show is back, as am I. And actually, I want to give a special shout out to two listeners, Igor and Carl, who actually came up to me on Saturday night at uh, at an event that we were all attending. So they came up, introduced themselves, told me that they were listeners of the podcast, which is fantastic. Uh, so how's it going, guys? Uh, it was very nice to meet you. And uh, to the rest of the listeners out there, if you haven't done so yet, uh, this is my weekly commercial, I really do appreciate you taking 10 seconds to give a star rating on iTunes, and if you do take the additional time to write in a comment on top of that, um, you know, I do read them all, even the bad ones. Naveed Bustani is a co-founder and CEO of Modern Advisor, an online investment service for Canadians which launched with socially responsible investment options available to its clients. Naveed, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Preet. Now, one of the things that I do with uh, all my guests, uh, and the regular res- listeners will know this, is you know I love to learn a little bit about the background of our guests, just in like you know sixty seconds. Um, just to figure out, you know, how they got to where they are today, what their background was that led them to ultimately starting whatever company it is that they've started. So I wonder if you could tell us in a nutshell, you know, what has your experience been either in tech or financial services and what ultimately led you to starting up Modern Advisor? Sure. Um, I was trained as an engineer, uh, so I'm a techie at heart. Uh, but, you know, after a few years of doing my engineering job, I decided, you know, I took an interest in finance and decided to pursue a career of finance. 
And, you know, I did my uh, CIM and CF, uh, CFA designations and I, I became an independent financial advisor. And I was, I did that for about four or five years and I really identified, you know, a few problems in the investment management uh, industry in Canada that I thought I could tackle. Only you know, a few? A, <laughs> I'm sorry? Only a few problems? <laughs> Only a few problems. Yeah, yeah the, you know, a few minor problems like really, really high fees. Right. Uh, lack of transparency, which is, I think is one of the biggest problems, mm-hmm. and and really the bias that is, that exists in in the industry. So you know, I, I I sat down and thought, okay, you know, with my problem solving skills as an engineer, how can I how can I tackle these problems? And that's you know what gave me the idea of modern advisor. Okay, so um, let's let's talk about what modern advisor is for the uninitiated. So, you know, in your own words, explain what modern advisor is and who the service is designed for. Sure, modern advisors, uh, like you said in your intro, is an online investment management platform, or as the media loves to call it, a robo advisor. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we we really built the system for uh, for any Canadian. We wanted to democratize. Uh, access to high quality investment management. Uh, but, you know, we identified our first target market, the main target market as the mass affluent uh, people in Canada. These are people who have, you know, probably over $100,000 in invest- investable assets, uh, but, uh, you know, less than a million dollars. They're making good money, but they, they're not well enough to really go to a high, high quality investment advisor or financial advisor. Uh, and uh, they're stuck with uh, with uh, mutual funds. Right now, okay. So I'm going to get back to that in a second. So your 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 target, as you mentioned, is kind of between a hundred thousand and million dollars of investable assets. Um, but is there an investment minimum for your service? We don't really have an investment minimum. So you can start an account with us, even if you have uh, you know a thousand dollars. We don't. We usually wait. I shouldn't say usually. We wait until you your account builds up to a thousand dollars before we invest the funds because you know uh, below a thousand dollars we really can't uh, invest in a diversified portfolio of ETFs for our clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, but you know anyone's welcome to open an account even if uh, they're starting off, uh, starting off with a few hundred dollars a month in savings and as soon as their account hits a thousand dollars we'll invest uh, the funds for them. Okay, and so now with the, with all robo advisors, um, as the media calls them, um, a lot of focus has been on fees. So give us a breakdown of what the fees are uh, for the service offering that you provide. Sure. Uh, yeah, our fees are uh, one of the lowest uh, in Canada, if not the lowest in certain categories. So for accounts under a hundred thousand uh, dollars, our management fee is half a percent per year. Mm-hmm. Between 100 and 500, uh, it's 0.4, and over 500 is 0.35%. Okay. And so those are your fees for the advisory service, but on top of that will be the cost of the product. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we use we use low-cost, uh, you know, broad market index ETFs uh, in our portfolios that, uh, you know, the non-SRX portfolios cost anywhere between 0.12 to 0.23 uh, per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the SRI uh, portfolios are a little bit more expensive. Okay, and let's um, let's uh, refresh people's memory uh, or educate them if they don't know what uh, what you mean when you say SRI. What is SRI? So SRI is uh, you know stands for socially responsible investing. Uh, it's basically investments that look beyond the profit line 
and uh, also look at the impact that the companies are investing in uh, have on the environment and the, 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 the societies that they work in and also consider the corporate and governance practices of those companies as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we go back to socially responsible investing, um, let's go back to what I had uh, mentioned I was going to ask you about before. So, you know, your target market, 100000 to a $1 million of investable assets. When it comes to online uh, financial advice or investment advice, um, you know, I think the feeling is that, you know, millennials and younger are going to be more likely to gravitate towards a service or any service that is online as opposed to dealing with a human being because Uh that's just sort of the world that they grew up in. But there's not a lot of millennials and younger who have 100,000 to, you know, a million dollars in investable assets. So, you know, is there uh, uh, an incongruity there? I mean, you've been operating since, I think it's January of this year, correct? Correct. Yeah. And so in that time, I mean, it's only been a couple months, so you still need time to ramp up and sort of, you know, see if people are going to uh, gravitate towards the service and whatnot. But what are you finding in terms of the people who have been signing up? Have they actually been older and have more assets or have they actually been millennials with a lot of money? Because obviously there are some millennials who do have significant assets, but not a lot. Right. Uh, so we we cover a very broad spectrum in terms of the clients that we already have. Uh, our you know youngest client uh, still in school. You know he open opened an account and put a few hundred dollars in it and uh, and is uh, saving a hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we've had people as as old as seventy five who've opened an account with us. So we're really seeing a broad spectrum of clients. Um, but you know, going back to your point about you know, if uh, millennial millennials being the uh, obviously the the target demographic that everyone thinks about for an online advisor, which which is true, you know, they're very comfortable. You know, I'm a millennial myself, and you know, we're very comfortable doing things online. We actually prefer doing things online uh, as opposed to you know going to a bank branch or you know, meeting with an advisor in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but what we're also seeing that. You know the, the millennials being the early adopters for robo advisors, and that's also, that's already happened. You've seen that in the U.S. and, and in Canada with the with our peers who launched before us, and now we're going to the mass market where and and you get older people who see the value in what we're offering and the value proposition for people who have actually more investable assets is probably greater, because you know aside from the very uh, simple experience that they get and the great service they get online. The fee savings for someone who has $100,000 in investable assets is much greater than a, than a millennial that's starting to save, you know, 500 or 200 a month or whatever the case might be. Right, because there is a difference between the, the relative amount of savings and the absolute amount of savings. So if someone does have a small portfolio, if they reduce costs from, say, 2 2.5% per year to 0.2% per year, on a relative basis, that's big, but if you don't have a lot of money, it's like a couple bucks, right? So it's the magnitude of that is not as big of a deal. But certainly, as portfolios get larger, the relative and absolute savings uh, becomes uh, very significant. So, so that's interesting. Um, but now let's let's go back to the socially responsible investing because this is something that you know on the surface of it when you look at the headlines in the media this seems to be something that uh millennials and younger gravitate to more than the average although i think a lot of people are starting to think more about um you know issues such as equality diversity um in all aspects of their life but also with respect to their investment portfolios 
And so this area of socially responsible investing has grown by leaps and bounds. And if I'm not mistaken, Modern Advisor launched. When you opened your doors for the first time, you had socially responsible investing options available to new clients. Is that correct? Correct. You were the first robo-advisor in Canada to offer socially responsible investing uh, in Canada. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so now let's 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 dig into this because this SRI, socially responsible investing, and we'll just use SRI for short from now for people who are wondering. Um, it's pretty hotly debated as to how valid it is as an investment strategy because you people say, well, you've got two competing interests here. You've got you know you want to um, uh, be impactful with your investing. Um, you have certain um, uh, attitudes or, or what what have you about the world and, and whatnot, and you don't want to contribute to, say, sin stocks and what have you. And then other people are saying, well, as soon as you deviate from the overall opportunity set as uh, as a passive investment uh, investment strategy, as soon as you start tinkering with that, you may not necessarily have the most optimal portfolio. Uh-huh. But I know that you've done a lot of research into this. There's a, a wide array of academic literature on this as well. What have you found? What has your experience or research led you to believe about um, the role of socially responsible investing? Are you giving up returns by being socially responsible with your strategies? That's a that's a very good question, and I got to be honest with you. You know, when we started looking at this, that was what I thought was going to happen. Was basically, would have to give up returns, and uh, and and that was not the case. What uh, you know, when what we found in our research was uh, most of the socially responsible indices. I've actually outperformed the broad market indices uh, in the past. So that you know, uh, two of the social responsible ETFs that we use in our portfolios, you know, one covers the Canadian uh, Canadian market, the other one covers the, the U.S. market. And if you look at the track record going back 10, 15 years, they've marginally, and this is not uh, with a uh, in a, by a, a wide margin, but a small margin, they've actually outperformed you know, the the uh, respective broad market index ETFs. Uh, so that was actually a bit of a surprise to me when we started doing the research and a bit of a head scratcher. And basically what it comes down to is most of the companies who follow these uh, SRI guidelines are actually stronger businesses and better companies because they follow the guidelines. And that's why you see, uh, you know, the returns actually outperform the broader market by uh, by a small margin. So can you give me an example of what some of these guidelines are? Like, are, are, Is it a matter of an investment manager says we are going to screen out companies that don't meet these guidelines, or is it companies that have decided that they have certain guidelines that they want to follow, or is it a combination of both? How does that, how does that screening process work in general? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So the screening process is usually done by an index provider. Uh, you know, the, the, the Canadian, for example, ETF 
that we use it follows a Jan-C index which is developed by Sustainalytics uh, there is a, an exclusion element to the index so certain indices are excluded by default from from uh, from the ETF so you know tobacco manufacturers weapon mining manufacturers tobacco producers and, and nuclear power they're they're excluded by default and then the rest of the companies they're ranked on three different criteria uh, they're ranked on you know environmental impact social impact and corporate governance mm-hmm. and uh, and companies that rank poorly in two categories are excluded right and uh, so, so uh, it's usually basically a third party index provider that decides which companies are going are going to be included in the index and which ones are going to be out Right. So these third-party um, index providers, um, you know, if you're just creating an index, um, you're licensing that to an ETF provider, uh, or you're selling that um, that data to to analysts or what have you, and they make their money by doing that. But is it is it all? Is is there? Uh, there's got to be some degree of just marketing to it because the people realize, hey, you know what? Some people they don't really study up on investing in. Mo- modern portfolio theory and portfolio construction and whatnot. And sometimes people just like the flavor of the day. So is socially responsible investing just a, a flavor of the day? And I know that you cited some, you know, some some research looking at um, the data from years ago, but how far back does that data go? And how do you know that that's not different than any other strategy that, you know, on a back-tested basis has outperformed uh, the opportunity set, which is the index? How do you know that's just not, you know, the... Um, just data mining? Yeah. Um. So based on, you know, what we found, and that's a very, uh, very valid question, it, it seems like, you know, with, with these social responsible indices, it hasn't been really a matter of trying to figure out uh, what kind of methodology and rules would, would result in a good backtest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the criteria has been set based on, you know, certain common, common sense elements. Okay, you know, if you're looking at a company that's, uh, you know, for example, has got, uh, huge uh, carbon footprint or uh, have problems with water pollution you know they're going to be they're going to be ranked uh, lower and and then after the the index was built they did the the back test right. uh, so it you know and and it was a bit of a head scratcher for me i i got to be honest and i i was thinking about this for a few days trying to figure out you know you know as a as a subscriber to kind of the the weak form of uh, uh, efficient market theory uh, it was a little bit of a head scratcher for me how these indices are outperforming the broad market indices. And, uh, the only uh, the only thing that I could uh, really make sense of was you know these companies are stronger companies. They have better employment engagement usually when because they care about these causes uh, and uh, because of the corporate governance practices that they have in place. Uh, you know shareholder shareholder uh, uh, values are are better protected. Uh, so in a way, it makes sense when you think about the long-term and uh, long-term return of these investments. You know, better companies usually pro- uh, provide for better stock market returns in mm-hmm. the long term. Now, um, so SRI is is murky a, a little bit because it's it's tough to know where exactly to draw the line because you've got a lot of companies that um, 
that are out there and, uh, you know, maybe have good governance, um, but they're involved in weapons manufacturing. So, yeah, they've got good governance, but they're involved in an industry that maybe, um, you know, uh, a conscious investor might say, well, I don't want to be involved in that industry whatsoever. So they stay away from it. Uh But where it gets murky is, you know, um, let's take a look at, say, uh, a bank. So a bank, um, you know, well, some people might say, oh, I'm anti-bank or whatever. But I think most people would say, well, they're not a sin stock like tobacco or, or guns or what have you. But they offer loans and financing to companies that are maybe involved in some of these industries that do not qualify as SRI compliant. So how do you, how do you draw that line between, um, you know, because there is such an interconnectedness between so many companies. How do you, how do you draw that line? Or you just say, this is, uh, you know, this is just the rules of the index and, and this is better than having no rules. How does that work? Yeah, so uh, you're right. I think there is a lot of uh, interconnectedness that are probably not uh, really taken into account when these indices are built. And uh, so, um, from what I understand, these index obviously these uh, index providers are all, all the time improving their their methodology. But uh, how deep they go in their analysis is, is something that I can't really speak to mm-hmm. because uh, I'm not fully aware of. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if a bank that, uh, for example, uh, gives loans to, uh, you know, you know, let's say uh, oil sand companies would be uh, was included in in the index, especially if they have, uh, you know, good corporate governance and if they have good social practices. So that that is a challenge. Um, and you know, to your point, uh, you know, it's one of the things that I, I, you know, I'm pretty open about and transparent about with our portfolios. Uh, you know what? What we decided to do was these SRI portfolios. I think that are a great starting point for socially responsible investing. They're not perfect mm-hmm. because the products that cover these uh, these investments are very limited in terms of, and our options in terms of what we can uh, what we can invest in are very limited. Especially because we want to stick to our DNA of providing high quality and low cost investment management. So. You know, as an example, uh, some of the oil sand companies are are in in our socially responsible ETF. And again, you know, we don't have any control over the single companies that end up in the ETF. But um, and then we looked into it. So why why is a Suncor, for example, in a socially responsible in, uh, a portfolio? It's a little counterintuitive, mm-hmm. you know. And the, and the reason is they have really good social uh, social programs. They really take care of their workers. Uh, they have uh, contingency plans for taking care of the environment when their operation is done. They have really good corporate governance, governance and, and, and that's why they're included. And that's one of the things that some people might find surprising. And, you know, we're constantly on the lookout for products that would give us even more control over what is included and what's not included. But right now, We've got a great set of portfolios that are a good starting point, and we're constantly going to improve them. So I, I want to talk a little bit more about SRI, but I also want to make sure for the for the listeners, they uh, and also for my uh, benefit, um, you offer SRI options, but you also offer non-SRI compliant options. So if people just want the plain sort of couch potato style indexing, you have that as available as well, correct? Absolutely, yes. Right. So it's it's an option that you make available, but it's not, if you go to Modern Advisor, it has to be one of these SRI compliant portfolios. So that's the option of the client. Correct. 
Okay. Um, so yeah, so just, uh, just, uh, uh, sharing some stories about, um, SRI debates, uh, that people have. There's, um, a lot of u- university, either, uh, endowments, pension funds, uh, what have you. There's been this movement, uh, towards divestment of fossil fuel investments in these, in these plans. And I think some universities have decided to do it and some have decided not to, but it is, if people don't know, a very hotly contested, uh, issue. And, um, and, and for the same reason, I think that's why there might be the opportunity, um, for companies to, to engage in some type of exploration of SRI compliant options, because there is, um, a market demand for these things. It's just whether or not, you know, from, um, from a portfolio analytics point of view, is there, uh, different ways to skin a cat, if you will. Although I've never understood that, that saying, I don't know why you would ever want to skin a cat in the first place, (laughs) let alone find other ways to do it. But anyways, um, you know, some people would say, you know, if you uh, really want to have an impact with your investing, instead of picking a portfolio that uh, meets certain guidelines, just invest again in the opportunity set or the the regular market weighted regular index, and whatever the difference is between that return and an SRI portfolio, assuming that the regular index outperforms the SRI portfolio going forward, you take that money and be an activist with that part of your portfolio, the excess profits over an SRI portfolio. But like I said, there's there's different ways of trying to accomplish maybe the same thing. So maybe, you know, these these pre-screen portfolios are valid for some people and maybe other people will say, well, you know what, I'll take the regular portfolio because that makes more sense to me in terms of modern portfolio theory or whatever and, and take the excess funds and invest it in an activist way. So anyways. Okay. So the last thing I want to ask you about is, is fintech, um, in general. So obviously we've seen a lot of robo advisors pop up in Canada. It seems like, you know, every couple of months there's a new one launching. I think there's one that was called Just Wealth that, uh, launched a, a month or two ago. Um, there's Nest Wealth, there's Wealth Simple, and I would say that Wealth Simple and Nest Wealth are probably like sort of the two incumbents, if you will, in this relatively new space. Mm-hmm. Is this space starting to get too crowded already? I got to be honest with you. I, uh, you know, when we started working on this idea, I knew it was going to be become crowded. Uh, I am a little surprised by the number of players that are already out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in a way, uh, yes, but at the same time, it's a very, very large market, and that's why you see all these players come into uh, to the market. You know, there's about 1.3 trillion dollars in mutual funds in Canada, mm-hmm. and and some of those funds are great funds, but there are a lot of funds that uh, you know not not great. Definitely, you can do better just being in a you know passive market. Uh, broad market index ETF portfolio mm-hmm. and pay lower fees. So there's there's a lot of money that I think is just going to come out of those mutual funds and go into uh, you know robo advisors, if you will. So the markets uh, you know can definitely handle you know ten or fifteen robo advisor for sure. Right, because I guess when you look at it, you've got um, hundreds of firms and tens, well, I guess over a hundred thousand financial advisors out there. So, and that is a very big pie that everyone is sort of competing for. Um, let's talk about that name robo advisor. Um, so, so I remember when Wealth Simple was launching, Mike Katchen was always telling people, Mike Katchen, the CEO of Wealth Simple, was telling people, I didn't really like the, the name robo advisor. And he had his reasons for that. And it had mostly to do with the fact that, you know, it sounded cold and, uh, um, made it sound as if there's not a lot of uh, interaction with the company and it's just a very um, systematized process. 
But there are other people who have issues with the name robo-advisor because when you say the word financial advisor to the uninitiated off the street, you say, you know, um, I'm a financial advisor, come work with me. They think that that means that you handle um, all aspects of their finances, right? You're giving them advice on all aspects of their finances. But there's really a a lot of difference within the industry, even on the human side of, um, you know, the different types of advice that's available. You have some people who are nothing but order takers. They don't even give you advice. You, you, they basically say, oh, you've got 50 grand you want to put in here. Okay, I'll do that for you. Then you've got some people offer, offer cursory portfolio advice uh, or individual security advice. And you've got uh, at the um, end of the spectrum, you know, financial planning and wealth management where they deal with insurance, estate planning, cash management, getting you to save more money, and so on and so forth. So is the name robo-advisor kind of a misnomer? I mean, is this making the financial consumer even more confused because they might think, all right, I've got a robo-advisor. Now we don't need anything else. Well, I, that that's a very interesting point. I mean, I, I was kind of with, uh, with Mike uh, Katchen in, uh, in my view of the word robo-advisor because I think it misrepresents what we do. But it sounds like your question is more about the term advisor in the robo-advisor. And, you know, the fact is, I think the financial uh, financial advisor is a very loosely used term in, in Canada. And, uh, and uh, you know, the problem is people, when even when people are looking for investment advice, they're probably look uh, the, th- the first thing they're going to search for is a financial advisor. So there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, education that needs to happen in Canada just to to differentiate between the different services that are provided uh, and all of them, most of them are just, uh, you know, referred to as uh, financial advice, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's investment advice or estate planning or, or financial planning. So there's a, there's a bit of a, a I guess, broader problem. It, it's not specific to us, you know, the online advisor or the robo-advisor. It's a, a problem in the industry. And, um, you know, nobody exactly knows what it means when you say someone's a financial advisor. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a huge, huge problem. Um, when you take a look at uh, the low hanging fruit, um, and by that I mean, you know, the traditional old school model of a financial salesperson is what I'll, I'll call them. Um, so I'm not painting everyone with the same brush, but there are some people who are just financial salespeople, and then there mm-hmm. are f- true financial planners and, and what have you. So if you take the um, the the financial salesperson, the model basically look like this. You've got, let's say, overall costs of uh, 2.5%. So the advisor uh, takes 1%. And to be clear, really, that would be a, a split between the advisor and the distributor. But from the consumer's point of view, it's basically the advisor. So it's like 1% for advice uh, or so-called advice and 1.5% for the product cost, right? So total cost, 2.5%. So if you contrast that to the robo-advisor, and I think the robo-advisor, I mean, their target market really should be and where the lowest hanging fruit is, the financial salesperson that doesn't actually give ongoing advice, monitoring, financial planning, doesn't provide any of that, but charges two, two and a half percent. You switch over to a robo-advisor that does basically what they're doing, just the investment implementation. And you go to, you know, the advice instead of being 1%, it's 035 to 0.5%. And the product goes from 1.5 down to 0.15 or up to, I don't know what the SRI portfolios are, 0.5%. Five point six, something like that. Uh, our uh, RSRI portfolios are uh, between 0.24 to 0.48. Uh, 
Okay. Depending yeah. on the risk level. Yeah. So a slightly higher cost for the SRI portfolios, which I believe is a function of like, that's just the cost, the MERs of the ETFs that track those socially responsible indexes, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, so regardless, so uh, you go again from advice is 1% down to 0.35 to 0.5 and product goes down from 1.5 down to 0.15 to 0.48 in your case. Now, of course, part of the response on the sales side will be to reduce product costs because, um, again, the advice costs you can hold constant. You could still have advisors, instead of using actively managed portfolios, if they wanted to compete on cost, they go to a passively managed portfolio. And in theory, they could get down to 0.15 to 0.48 as well on the product side. And so on the advice side, you know, the savings go from, um, or sorry, the overall cost savings uh if you go from a financial salesperson to a robo advisor is big but if you have someone who is a financial planner who is providing advice and what have you it kind of changes the equation a little bit because again this is this is kind of the gap what i'm really getting at is that i'm waiting to see the first robo planner when are we going to see a robo planner and do you have plans to do that yeah. Well, yeah, we do. Uh, we do definitely have plans to do that, and that's uh, partly uh, why uh, we picked the name Modern Advisor uh, because we we definitely have uh, plans to to go beyond just the investment management side. I think what you're gonna see, and this is uh, my view, you're probably gonna see a hybrid uh, planner first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, and and you'll see, you know, whether it's us or another robo advisor partner with. You know those true financial planners, and I think there are a lot of synergies there, uh, where you know uh, clients would get access to the technology platform, to to and the, the mobile apps, uh, the 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 very transparent and great digital experience, and at the same time they can work with uh, with a planner uh, that really understands their circumstances, uh, that that knows how much they need to save for retirement, how much they need to save for their kids what account types they should look at maybe to achieve their goals what kind of state planning they need to do so i think that's that's just a natural evolution that you're going to see that 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 the hybrid model where you get the best of the both uh, the best of both worlds um, and that solution is still going to be cheaper than most of the uh, the offerings that are that are out there today mm-hmm. so you get great financial planning from from human advisors and uh, you get the technology platform from uh, a robo advisor. And the next step, I think, and uh, well, what's going to happen after that, and you'll see robo advisors, uh, you know, including ourselves, look at uh, automating some of those planning tasks. And I don't think we're going to be to a point where you can replace a good financial planner uh, in the next 20 years. I, I think, you know, artificial intelligence has a long ways to go and it has to be a lot more accessible before we're there. Um, but but you see bits and pieces that are going to be automated and going to be algorithm driven. Uh, uh-huh. You know, whether it's, uh, okay, you know, should you do, should you save in your TFSA versus your RSP? You know, that's something that can be relatively automated and a financial planner doesn't have to spend time on that. But um, so as, as a, you know, back to your question about the trends, I think that's one of the first things you're going to see. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think is going to happen in Canada, you know, as if you follow the U.S. market, you know, robo-advisors on, are uh, are tackling the 401k problem, which is very similar to the group RSP uh, product here in Canada. Right. You know, right now, just people are left, uh, left uh, making their own decisions when they're not really equipped to make those decisions. 
you know, given a list of mutual funds, pick what percentage of your assets you want in these funds, uh, just because the companies don't want uh, that responsibility anymore. So I think that's a great fit for uh, a robo-advisor platform to go in and, and offer that advice in, in the portfolio management for, you know, group RSPs or company pensions. Right. Excellent. And of course, you know, the fear of a, of a robo-planner that is uh, uh, completely automated is that, you know, what if it becomes self-aware? You know, I could see a Terminator 2 Judgment Day <laughs> scenario where it buys you a lot of insurance and then it kills you and it names itself <laughs> as the names itself as the beneficiary. I mean, there's, there's a lot of scary aspects of this technology. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Especially if you have actual robots you know, uh, managing your money, then, uh, then it becomes really scary. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm developing secretly developing a plot for a movie based on, uh, uh, robo, robo planners that become self-aware. It, uh, should be a real, um, uh, blockbuster. Um, <laughs> That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's actually an awful idea. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, so uh, Naveed, I want to thank you for your time. And with every guest at the end of the um, the interview, you've got an opportunity to uh, you know give a 60 second commercial to the listeners. So the floor is yours. Take it away. Thanks, Preet. Yeah, go on modernadvisor.ca. Check us out. We actually launched a trial program. This is something unique that we do with Modern Advisor. You know, one of the things we were struggling with is you know, we understand we're a startup and uh, there's also obviously an element of trust. Um, and, you know, how do we overcome that is, you know, we let people uh, sign up for a trial account. We actually invest a thousand dollars of our money in the trial account um, and for, you know, in the ETF portfolio of your choice, whether it's uh, SRI or uh, plain vanilla, uh, if you will. And, and, and you can test drive the system, you can build a relationship with us, and if there are any gains after the trial period, you're actually entitled to keep the gains. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's, that's how we thought is best to really engage our, our, our users. Um, so go on modernadvisor.ca, open a trial account, give us a, give us a try, and feel free to ask us any questions, give us feedback. You know, we're constantly looking for feedback to, to make the platform better. Wonderful. Naveed, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Preet. All right. That was my interview with Naveed Bustani, the co-founder and CEO of ModernAdvisor.ca. If you enjoyed this episode or the podcast in general, don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave a rating. It literally takes a few seconds, but means a lot for me and helps me secure great guests like Naveed. That's it for today. We'll see you next time. <music>